Everybody say, praise the Lord. So good. Thank you, team. Happy Good Friday, everybody. It's great to see you this evening. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I didn't, I didn't mark it, so hopefully. How are all the kiddos in the room doing? Anybody doing okay? Yeah, Landon says he's doing good. That's good. Kiddos, are you all ready to just be still for like 30 minutes? You can do it, all right? Parents, just at least give it a shot. Give it a shot. Don't assume they can't do it. I'm thinking they can. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin our time together. Isn't it good to be together on days other than Sunday? It's always fun when we get to do this. Okay, uh, go ahead and uh, stand for the reading of the Word of God. On this evening of Good Friday, we are going to commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus. I want to share a simple message with you just called Christ and Christ Crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, And when I came to you, brothers, oh, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, the, and of power, so that your faith, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but that your faith might rest in the power of God. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for the faith that you give us by your Son tonight. And we pray that we would be built up by your word and by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray uh, that we would have our faith built on the power of God. And that as we turn to you and look at you tonight and remember your crucifixion, oh, like we talked about this last Sunday, that we would not be led into temptation to rest on the wisdom of men, to rest on our own plans or our own thoughts or our own ideas or anything that the world would offer us, but that we would be delivered from all of that evil and have a faith that stands firm on the power of God demonstrated on the cross for us. We love you. We turn our attention towards you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and be the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him tonight. We want to know the Lord Jesus more. We want to see you more, be shaped by you more. And so we ask that in faith, trusting that you will give yourself to us as we gather. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We uh, are looking at these few verses this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the, the original writer of this letter was the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he is reminding them, he's reminding them of what he told them when he came to them. They have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
but their culture has overtaken much of their lives and much of their faith practice. And it's overtaken uh, so much of their calling, of who they're called to be as Christians. And so they've received the Lord Jesus, but they're still living in the world that they were saved out of. And that culture, those rhythms, those people, those things in their life are pulling them away. And so they're abandoning much of the Christian life. And if you read the, the letters to the Corinthians... Personally, they were abandoning, abandoning much of their Christian life in Christ, and their church was a mess. And that should just kind of, in some odd way, give us some comfort that even the churches in the Bible had some issues. And even when we have issues, it'd be kind of tough to make it as bad as they were. So, but they're a mess. They're a mess. They have received the gospel, but they are a mess because they have turned and been distracted by so many things. So Paul is writing to them, and he's pastoring them. And his first step in pastoring them, real early here in chapter 2, is to remind them that when he came to them, he established their salvation, and he established their church on a simple foundation. They had made things so complicated. They had gotten so distracted with so many things. And Paul's bringing them back to the simplicity of what he first preached to them. And he says, I just, I came to you. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul talking. He, he was brilliant. He could speak. He functioned in signs and wonders. But he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't establish your faith on any of those things. I just came and all I did was preach to you Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. He's just saying, if you want to get everything right, if you want to stay rooted and grounded in the midst of the swirl that you're in, you've got to get the first thing right and keep the first thing the first thing. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. And I'm so thankful for this rhythm of Good Friday that we have this day every year to be reminded of the first thing, of the main thing, of the cornerstone who is Christ. And we have talked so much this year in our church about these same realities, that we are people who have received the gospel, but we are so distracted, and there is so much pulling us away. And it's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay rooted. We're, we're doing a decent job, and I'm proud of each and every one of you, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard, and so it is good for us to have this night where we come together and we are reminded, just like the Corinthian church, of Christ and Christ crucified. We will never get past our need to be reminded of this. That's why I love, I love that song we just sang. I love that line. Is it good that we remind ourselves of all of this? And it's like, it is. Yeah. It just is. I need it. I need it. I need my wife to remind me she loves me. You know, because that makes me feel good. I need to be reminded of Jesus Christ. I need to be reminded of this. Because the truth of the gospel, the truth of this gospel of Jesus and Jesus crucified is antithetical to our ever-increasingly secular and individualistic culture. That's why we have to remind each other of this. We have to be reminded of this, remind ourselves of this, take communion every Sunday when we get together, stick to these rhythms of the Christian life because it's hard. It's hard and, and, and it's opposite. It is antithetical in every way to the increasingly secular, increasingly individualistic culture that you are living in every day. 
Talking about sin is bigoted. Telling someone they are sinful and that they need a savior is traumatic to them. Speaking the truth is an act of abusive aggression. You, you just, you can't preach the gospel without offending somebody. And in some ways, that means we're doing it right. I was reading a blog that John West, Brother John, brother. raise your hand this evening, Brother yes. John. <laughs> I was reading something John wrote the other day, and uh, this, it was this week, and he was sharing some about all of what I'm saying. He was talking about how some of his own observations about how much our culture that we're living in is just bucking the offensive truth of the gospel at its very core. He said this. He said, it is considered offensive for three primary reasons. First, it means people must recognize themselves as sinners. Second, it means that they must admit they can't save themselves from their own sin. And third, it means confessing that they are in need of a savior. He said this, we can't simply skip to the resurrection because a bloody cross disturbs our modern sensibilities. It's always been disturbing. It's supposed to be disturbing. And tonight, I want to make sure that you hear and understand the gospel of your salvation according to the power of God, not according to the wisdom or opinions or preferences of man or of culture. And I pray that as you hear it, you are strengthened in your faith and you are equipped to stand as witnesses to Jesus in a world that desperately needs to know him, desperately needs us to be true, authentic witnesses to the name of Jesus. The word gospel means good news. And the good news starts out as really good news on the first page of the Bible, but then it quickly turns to bad news. In Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's good news. That means you mean something. This means something. Didn't just happen on its own. Is that good news to anybody? Okay, all right, all right. You mean something. You mean something. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in God's creation of the heavens and the earth, he intended unity. We highlight three main unities that God established in creation. The unity of the heavens and the earth. The unity of God and humanity. And the unity of humanity and humanity. Those, those three unions existed in the good news of creation at first. But then the bad news comes in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve uh, sin. Adam and Adam, we have all sinned. And personally, all of us have sinned. And because of sin, those three unions in God's creation have been broken. The union of the heavens and earth became broken. The union of God and humanity was broken. And the unity of humanity and humanity was broken. It was broken by sin. So what is sin? This is a question that the world you're living in does not want you to answer. You are, you are a bad person if you answer this question. You are not allowed to define what sin is. And honestly, I encourage you not to define what sin is. Just let God do it. You shouldn't be the one determining and defining sin. But God, and we, God should determine that because he is the creator. He should determine it, and he has. And he has told us what it is. 
The Bible teaches us that sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. Sin is rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Sin is not being or doing what God requires of us in his law. To put it simply, in the beginning, God made us to be his imagers, to be the image of God on the earth. So sin is living to build your own image instead of living to reflect God's image. Anything that fits in that category. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. That the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned Everyone, everyone to his own way. Your culture and your flesh hate to hear the truth about sin. Don't you? I mean, I don't really enjoy hearing all that. Our culture and our flesh hates to hear the truth about sin and about the reality of sin. And that's not, it's not because the world and your flesh hates sin and loves God. But because the world and the flesh love sin and hates God. That's why we don't like it. Proverbs tells us that the, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And I'd like to think that that's why I don't like hearing about all my sin. But the reality is I don't like hearing about my sin because I kind of like my sin. The world kind of likes our sin. We're, <laughs> we need help. <laughs> The Bible is clear that we all have sinned. No one is righteous, not even one person. Sin is real. We all have sin, and sin has consequences. God's three intended unions of creation are broken, and we are living lives and living in a world that is swimming in the aftermath of that. Sin marks our world, and it marks each one of us. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it tells us that we are marked. You are, you are dead in sin. Verse 2, you are a son of disobedience. Verse 3, you are a child of wrath. Romans 6 says we are slaves to sin. Romans 5 says that in, sla- that, in that slavery to sin, we are enemies to God. These are the consequences of our sin. Sin is real and it has consequences and there is a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Colossians 3 says that on account of our idolatry, the wrath of God is coming. Sin is real. We have all sinned and sin has consequences. Now, I know I just said on behalf of our idolatry, and usually that's like a hold up. 
Wait right. a second. Yeah. Idolatry, like that. I, I get the sin part, you know, like we've kind of made ourselves a little bit more comfortable with sin by using some other words. It's like, okay, I, I can get behind, I have, I've sinned, but that, that was a struggle, you know. Yeah. That, that was a stumble. That's just an issue. It was just an issue I was working through. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge, you know. So I, I, okay, fine, I've got sin, I've got issues, I've got stumbling blocks, I've got unspoken prayer requests. But, but idolatry, I'm not idolatrous. That sounds bad. But you are. You are. Because idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. Trusting in created things rather than the creator for your hope and your happiness, for your significance and your security. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 25 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Your world and your flesh is telling you to reject any notion that you might have sin, that you might actually be idolatrous, that the wrath of God might actually be coming, that he might actually have wrath at all, that there might really be just judgment for sin, that there really is nobody righteous, not even one, that everyone has gone astray. It's telling you, the culture and and your flesh is telling you to reject any notion of that because after all, you're just trying to be yourself. You're just living your truth and trying to be happy. And, And how could any of that ever be wrong? You're so great. How, how could a loving God not want that for you? How, how could loving Christians not affirm you in that? How, how could a good friend not encourage that for you to, to be yourself and live your truth? How could good parents not understand that for their children? How could, a, how could a real pastor not celebrate that for you? How could a good church not embrace that for you? But no. No, the good news includes the bad news. That no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, what you look like, how you vote, what you believe, you have sinned. You have sinned. You have rejected God. And you deserve his wrath and his just judgment. And that's not because God isn't good or because God doesn't love you. It's because you have sinned. You have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. All of this is deserved. And maybe even a better way to say it is that all of this is owed. It's owed. You had a choice between creature and creator. You selected add to cart for creature and then check out now and the bill is due. 
You owe it. You owe the wages of your sin. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, has lavished his grace on you. Yes. In an act of glorious grace, God both satisfies his justice and reconciles you to himself by a redeemer, by the redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God in whom God became man and bore the penalty of sin himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And this Redeemer, this Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, was both fully man and fully God. We believe that. We, we must believe that. He was fully man and he was fully God. He was fully man so that in human nature, he might on your behalf perfectly obey the law and suffer the punishment for human sin. He was fully God so that his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective to overcome death. Because he was God, he can give us salvation that can only come from God. And he can give us eternal life, which is knowing God. The wages of your sin is death. So Christ, who we remember on this evening of Good Friday, died willingly in your place to deliver you from the power and the penalty of sin and bring you back to God. In Christ... All of your sins can be forgiven. Because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for all of your sins. And now you can be a temple of the Holy Spirit where heaven and earth intersect. You can be adopted as a child of God as God restores his relationship between himself and humanity. And now you can be baptized into the body of Christ. Humanity unified with humanity again. Only in the death and baptism of Jesus Christ. And now you are a co-heir with Christ of the kingdom of God. You get to participate in this life with him as he brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And you get to receive his eternal kingdom with him when he makes all things new on the last day. <laughs> you are created to know God. You are created to be his imager in the world. You have sinned and rebelled against him and made yourself an enemy of God. <clears throat> but in his mercy, he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. 
so that you will not be condemned, but be saved from the wrath that you deserved and instead have eternal life. John 3, 16 and 18 and verse 36 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So as the crowd asked in Acts chapter 2, what must one do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? The Bible is clear. Repent. Repent and believe this good news. Repent and believe it. Repent doesn't just mean be sorry or feel bad. It means receive the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit's conviction is the mercy of God to let you taste what you owe so that you don't want it, so that you get scared of it, so that you realize it's bad, so that you feel the need to get away from what you now are convinced you owe because you've been convicted of it. The Holy Spirit's conviction on you is Him teaching you the reality of walking away from Him. You get convicted of it. You, don't, you didn't believe it a second ago, but now all of a sudden it's a conviction. I've received the, the merciful conviction of the Holy Spirit. So to repent means several things. It first means to receive the Holy Spirit's conviction. You receive conviction so that you have a contrite heart and you surrender to the fact that he is right about convicting you. That's what contrition is. You get convicted, and then that leads you to contrition. Convicting is, I'm wrong, and contrition is, oh, no, you're right. It's it's humbling yourself under the reality that you're wrong. Not trying to bury it, or hide it, or run from it, or fight it. Contrition is breaking. Your pride breaking under the conviction of sin. You are convicted by the Holy Spirit, and he gives you a contrite heart. And then you need to allow that contrition to lead you to confession. You confess your sin to God. You confess your sin to others that you might be healed and forgiven. And then, by the mercy of God, you change. That's what repentance is. Conviction, contrition, confession. And it all leads to change changing the direction that you're going, not in your own works and strength, but by the mercy of God, go and sin no more. And when you do this, God, not because of your works, but because of his grace, will give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
When you confess Jesus as Lord and receive him by faith, you are justified. You are declared righteous before God because of Christ's death and resurrection. And you begin to be sanctified, which is your gradual growing in righteousness, made possible by the Holy Spirit's work in you. And on this Good Friday, I exhort you and I encourage you, remember Christ and Christ crucified. Receive Christ and Christ crucified. Do not build on any other foundation. Do not stand on any other cornerstone. Remember Christ and Christ crucified. And I exhort you, be crucified with him. Be crucified with him. Don't just look at the cross and say thank you and walk away. See him on the cross and live crucified with him. Make your will bow to this great will. No longer live the life that you live on your own. Let Christ live inside of you. This Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. Live a new life in faith. In the faith. In faith in the Son of God. The culture that you live in is constantly making an appeal to you to be reconciled to the world by your works or by your vote or by your posts or by your something. You are constantly being appealed to. Reconcile yourself to the world by your works. But in the gospel, God is making his appeal to the world through us for all to be reconciled to God through his son. Good Friday is good because Jesus died so that sinful people like you and me could be restored to our created identity as imagers of God and partner with Him and glorify Him for all of life and all of eternity. And anything or anyone who tries to add to that or take away from that or reject that is wrong. And you cannot and you should not, do not listen to them. Remember Christ and Christ crucified. Jesus knows what it is to fight for this grace, to stand for this grace. And we remember on this night, Jesus knows what it is to suffer for this grace. And I know that sometimes the enemy seems so big and the world seems so loud and the flesh seems so strong. And when it does, come again to the cross. Come again to the cross and remember Jesus Christ. That your faith might not rest in men. That your faith might not rest in yourself. But that your faith would rest on the power of God. Would you stand with me and take communion with me tonight? On the evening when Jesus was taken so that he would be crucified, he gave this rhythm to us. And he said, take this bread. This is my body broken for you. He said, take this cup. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're here tonight and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to not take of communion unless you're ready to make that confession. I believe in the body and the blood of Jesus. If you're ready to confess him as the Lord of your life, receive his body and receive his blood. Scripture encourages us, don't take this lightly. Take this seriously. We are remembering Christ and Christ crucified as we take of his body and his blood. We receive him now as we look forward to receiving him in fullness in the end. 
Let's get the bread and get ready to take it together. Lord, we thank you on this beautiful evening for your broken body given for us. Lord, we praise you and worship you and we say thank you. There was no other hope for us. There is no other hope for us. We need your broken body and you have given it to us. And so we come back to you again. We come back to your broken body and we love you and we receive you this evening in your holy name. Let's take together. And Lord, we thank you for your blood poured out for us. I thank you that as a real man, you really did pour out real blood to pay for our real sins. I thank you that we really are purchased from the debt that we owe, that we really are born again through your broken body, your poured out blood, and the filling of your spirit. We remember your forgiveness tonight. We thank you for your forgiveness tonight. We pray that we would be built up in this forgiveness. We pray that we would build each other up in this forgiveness as we remember you tonight and forever. In the name of Jesus, let's take together. In our last few minutes together, we're going to sing and worship the Lord some more. And I encourage you, open up your heart again. Open up your mind again. Open up your soul again. Open up your body again. And receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we turn our hearts to you, we need to be consumed by you. We need to be possessed by your Holy Spirit, filled, covered, and overflowing. We lift up your holy name. We thank you for this glorious salvation that only you could give, and you did give it. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said,